you don't know me, my name is Steve. Um, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, didn't know my dad. My mom had my two sisters and me. Uh, my mom passed away when I was five. My sisters and I went around in the foster uh, care system. Finally landed on a, on a family that he was a pastor of a little church in Santa Barbara. And not long after, I heard about Jesus. I gave my heart to Christ at eight years old. And uh, I've never regretted that one single day. God has always been faithful every moment, every single moment uh, my entire life. I have not always been faithful. I wish that I had been, but I haven't always been faithful, uh, particularly in my army days. And um, uh, I, I, I bore the brunt of that, too. You have to work your way out of those things. I think a greatest testimony, young people, is a young person who grows up in the kingdom and they never stray. And they don't have to come back and lose those years. Uh, but God does bring back and he restores. And he did. And I'm so thankful uh, to know him. My wife, Terry, uh, regrets not being here today. She does, she's at a ladies' uh, retreat at our church in Houston. And... Um, so, but I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here today, and I'm going to share some stuff. I want to just say thanks to Ty and Nicole for leading uh, New Covenant Ministries International team. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to lead a leader before. It's not easy. It's not easy. And uh, he, has, uh, he, he has over 500 couples on the, on the team that are leaders of leaders, and so pray for Tyron and Nicole. Pray for them as they are engaged in the stuff that's uh, going on around the world. Uh, my wife and I, most of our ministry is in U.S., Canada, and Australia, and New Zealand, but uh, they're all over the world and uh, have to have their hand in that, so appreciate that. Um, here's my main uh, point, main, main number one point. It's always about Jesus. And you, there was a QR code here. You could, if, you want, if you're a note kind of person, my notes are up there. We're not going to project them, but you can follow along or use them later. And just, or just enjoy, just listen right now and let God impact your heart. And so, Lord, lead us as we get into your word, I pray. Acts 20, 24. Paul said this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Tyron talked about... Um, not only finishing the race, but finishing the task, completing the task that God has given us. And then here it says, here's what the work is, the work of telling others the good news. I want to finish the good news. I want to finish this good work of sharing the good news around. And, um, and that's telling people about Jesus, the wonderful grace of God. So we live in a busy culture. We, we live in a um, culture that's increasingly complex, and uh, young people growing up, and even adults are dealing with, sometimes young people are up in, in three and 4,000 messages and texts a day, uh, just constantly juggling, you know, 60 conversations. Their mind never just rests and, and ponders and thinks on the things of uh, God, and and we're in that we're caught in that busy culture as well. We try to squeeze we try to squeeze a little bit of Jesus into an already overcrowded life. It's just not going to work. He has to be the center. He has to be the main thing. It's always, always, always about Jesus. Um, I want to do a little illustration. I need somebody to feed this rope all the way to the back of the room. Do you know? Don't don't take anybody's heads off as we go over. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, don't. You guys, if it's getting near you, if it's getting near you, just uh, put it over your heads. Don't slap anybody with it. All right. All right, way back there. So this is, pretend like this is your life. All right. Go away. This is your life. And pretend like it goes on to infinity. All right. Because as believers, as believers, our life in Christ will go on forever. Right. So just think of that. And um, our life on earth is this little red piece right here. Can you see that? And in fact, it would be way smaller than that. This is just an illustration. So we try to do everything we can to live in this little time right here. In fact, a friend of mine said that we we work, uh, Americans particularly, work hard for 35 years so that they can live as selfishly as they can for the next 25 And we're so concerned with all this time and all this energy and all this stuff going on here when we have life. And if we would get an eternity picture, a big picture of the kingdom of God that's not going to end, and it's starting now when we say yes to Jesus, this wouldn't seem so important when we're living for this. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So keep that in perspective as we move along. Thanks. Thanks, Dino. You can go fishing with that later. Put a big magnet on there, put it in the river, and it might come up with an old VW or something. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses here and just let the Word of God speak. I might comment a little bit, but uh, the, the Word of God is pretty good on its own. <laughs> so this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Timothy was now in the mix here. This is later on. Paul's uh, probably under house arrest in, in prison, uh, and, and it's a difficult time, but he's writing to the churches that he had planted and been part of. We're writing to God's holy people. That's the saints. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, out of the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you. What a great example. We, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard, number one, of your faith in Christ Jesus, and number two, your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope, hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And, and I want to encourage you, as God's people, we should live expectant lives expectant and anticipating the goodness of God to break through every moment of every day. Always be looking for what God's going to do. God's going to do something to have expectant hearts. This same good news that came to you is going all over the world. This is the gospel. The gospel is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the first day you heard of it, understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So listen, the gospel is going forth and no one can stop the gospel. No one can stop the or, or hinder the good news of Jesus or no one can ever, ever stop the advancement of his kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We can't organize it. We can't quantify it. We can't contain it. Uh, we can't reduce it. Jesus, this is Jesus thing. And we are on mission with him. It's his mission. We are on co-mission with him. 
So this gospel, the gospel is relatively simple. In, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, Paul says, this is, in the first few verses, he says, this is the primacy, this is the primary thing of the gospel, that Jesus came, as the, as the prophets said, foretold, and that he lived a perfect life, that he died for your sins, as was prophesied, that he's, uh, he rose again on the third day, and he's coming back for us. And we saw it, a whole bunch of people saw it, and they're still living today, so go ask them. And that was written in in. in Right in the very beginning. So we see this in verse five, down in verse 15 of chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So we are finite beings. He is eternal. He is infinite. And we cannot understand the infinite in, in, in our minds the way we are now. We see through a glass uh, dimly. It's like a foggy bathroom mirror. We can't quite see through it. And, and someday we will. But right now we can't really understand the awesomeness of almighty god who spoke the universe into existence father son and spirit there at the moment of creation god in the beginning god created and the spirit hovered over the the waters and the sun spoke forth the, the universe in, into existence and, and that's since the beginning he is awesome so we couldn't understand that so god said okay i'll come down and live among you and be one of you be subject to your same limitations in in the incarnate being somehow some way being all God and all man at the same time I mean it's not too hard for us I'm all man and I'm I'm all American at the same time all right and or I'm I'm a man and I'm a husband and I'm a father at the same time well we reside in the same thing here so Christ is the visible image of an invisible God what would God say look at Jesus listen to him what would God do? Look at Jesus and listen to him. He existed before anything was created. This is going to be repeated again. And is supreme or first over all creation. For through him, God created everything. That's going to be repeated in this passage. Through him, through Jesus, God created everything. In other words, Jesus wasn't created. In the heavenly realms and on the earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. For everything was created through him and for him. That was repeated. And then verse 17, again, he existed before anything else. I, I want to tell you this. Jesus was not voted in as God in A.D. 425, the Council of Nicaea. That's what Da Vinci Code tells you. Oh, yeah, hundreds of years later, they voted him and they made him God. No. Jesus existed before anything else. And this is good. When you're 17 year old, years old like I was, and my car wasn't working so hot, he holds all things together. All right. He holds all things together. So listen, when we have Jesus, we have all of God. We have all of his essence, all of his attributes, all of his characteristics, his nature and his being, all those things we have in Jesus. He's the head of the church, verse 18, which is his body. We are his body. If you have said yes to Jesus, you're part of the church universal, all believers from all time. We, we see local churches in the New Testament and we see the church. Christ's body and bride. 
And so as part of that, we are part of his body. And every part of the body has the function. And it's not just to work hard for 35 years so that you can live selfishly for 25 years. God has called you for a purpose. Each, each one of you has a job to do. Each one of you, whether visible or invisible, in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, whatever it is, we all have a job to do. And every part is necessary to be a complete body. My wife loves those um, jigsaw puzzles. I, they frustrate me. It would, Ten seconds, I'm like this. Let me go get out of here, go do something. Uh, but I'll tell you what, she could do a thousand-piece puzzle, and if one piece is missing, which is the piece you notice? The one that's not there, the one that's not doing his job. Yeah, that's good. Wow. 999, that's an A+. 99.9. <laughs> it's an A+. Plus. They're doing their job. Which one do you notice? The one not doing its job. That's just, that's just natural. And so your job is important. You might not think it's important, but in, in actuality, none of us are important. <laughs> he's the head, we're the body. Okay, so he's the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. He was the first one to rise like that, and so he's first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, for through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this is the, this is the secret. This is the key. Christ, the King James says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, New Living Translation says, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Listen, if Christ is not in you, if he's not living in you, you have no hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we tell others about Christ. This is verse 28. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect, mature, complete in their relationship to Christ. Presenting every, everyone perfect. That means complete, mature in Him. And that's our job when we come together as a church to help one another grow up in Him and be the people that God has called us to do. Not just living Tyron said, uh, on a, sitting on a bus bench waiting for the bus to heaven. Come by. What are you doing here with your box of chocolates? I'm just waiting for the bus to heaven to go. And, and it's, we have work to do. Amen. And if we didn't have any work left to do, Christ would take us home. Yeah, good. He would say, well done. All right, you're done with your work. But we all are still here, so we all have work to do. That's why we do it. This is, this is why we have peace with God. He saved us, not just so that we can wallow in our wholeness, but we have work to do, and it involves other people. It's always about Jesus. It's always about other people. It's always, it's, it's always about doing stuff because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And here's what it is. Here's why it's about Jesus, because our joy, our peace, is, is not the final product. It's not the result that we're looking for. Jesus deserves the reward of his suffering. He died for us. He deserves that reward. And so he wants us to go and share. And he works through us. Yes, we don't do it through our own, but he, he chooses to work through us. I don't understand those things. We can get in arguments about the sovereignty of God and is God in control of everything. Well, does that mean we don't have a will? 
We don't have a free will, you know, and this endless silly debate goes on. Yes, God is sovereign. And yes, in his sovereignty, he chose to give us a will. There it is. In his sovereignty, he chose to give us a will. So that's all I know. The rest I'll know when I don't see things dimly. Someday it will come. So it's always about Jesus. Second thing I want to talk about here is, so it's always about Jesus. I'm going to narrow it down just a bit. So let's, if it's about Jesus, let's follow his example. All right. Now, Jesus did a lot of things, and we can't follow every example because he, he's Almighty God. We're not trying to be Almighty God and follow that example, right? Yeah. Some of us think, <laughs> think we are. So we're not following that, but what did Jesus do here on earth? One of the big things that he did and demonstrated is he came to serve. This is not the one where we go, ah, all right, this servant thing again, come on. He didn't come here to serve his will. He came, as in his humanity, he came to serve the will of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. That's a big deal. And he showed us how to serve. He was a great example of that. In Mark chapter 10, reading out of, the New American Standard Bible, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, this is to his disciples, who are really immature guys, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not this way among you, But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. We do not, in our culture, we do not like that word. We don't use that word. In in fact, the the language here in Greek is doulos, which means slave. That's even worse. Holy moly. (laughs) Can you imagine That our whole goal, Jesus, who created the universe with his spoken word, came down here to demonstrate servanthood. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Of anybody who deserved to be served... He chose to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, the greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then James, the brother of Jesus, says in chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So it's repeated by Jesus, uh, by Peter, by James. So what I see in here is my job is to humble myself. It's God's job to exalt me. It's your job to humble yourselves. It's God's job to exalt you, to lift you up. The problem is that we do God's job of exalting ourselves. So God goes, all right, I'm going to have to do your job of humbling you. 
And I'll tell you what, whatever God does, he does way more than we do. He does way better than we do. <laughs> Micah, in the Old Testament, he cries out, Oh, what do you want, God? You want my firstborn? And God goes, No, I've told you what to do. I want you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's really not that complicated. So, I bet most of you didn't know this. The word leader is mentioned in the Bible, the King James Bible, three times. The word servant is mentioned 452 times. In the ESV, which is today's, uh, today's King James Version, it's very accurate. The, uh, the other, what's the other? Uh, New American Standard is pretty good. Uh, the, uh, what's the other one? The S, uh, HCSB, H, yeah, HCSB. That's a good one. Home and Christian Center Bible. I used to call it, th- thought it was the hardcore uh, Southern Baptist version. <laughs> so anyway, but it's a good version. But anyway, in the ESV, leader is mentioned 23 times. And um, servant is mentioned 505 times. I'll tell you what, you have to read the Bible four times to get that statistic. So, but I didn't do it. I just looked it up. <laughs> we got Moses. Not so with my servant Moses. The Bible says in Numbers with Joshua. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. I would love that to be my epitaph. Steve. Yeah. A servant of the Lord. That, that's all I want. That would, that, that would be such a privilege. Yeah, David says in Psalm 36, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, David, the servant of the Lord. The apostles, Paul, we see in Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. James, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, verses, uh, verse 1, 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude was a little bit humble there because he didn't say a brother of Jesus. He said a brother of James. James and Jude were brothers of Jesus. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a servant's heart here. This is getting a little more practical from this big thing. It's all, yeah, it's all about Jesus. Okay, what do I do? All right, you do this. Start here. Start with the attitude of a servant like Jesus did. Number one, understand that I am a special gift to the body. 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, each of you has a special gift, a unique gift, and it's not a gift singular, it's you. You're the gift. You are the gift. Your unique combination of God-given talents and abilities and temperament and, and personality, your upbringing, your parenting, your ups and downs of life. God, God is greater than all those things. And, and Whatever your education or experience, your successes, your failures, that makes you who you are, and nobody else can be you. Nobody else can fit in that little puzzle piece besides you. You have a gift. You are a gift to the body. So 1 Peter 4, 10, 11 says, Each one of you should use the gift they have received to serve others. Oh, no, here it is again. (laughs) I can't use my gift to serve myself. I use my gift to serve others. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Someone once said that uh, Paul McCartney had a gift. of He was a minstrel. 
and he influenced a gener- generation. Paul McCartney and John, and John Lennon used their gift that God gave them to influence a generation. Uh, a few decades later, a young man who grew up in an abusive uh, home life in situation, he had a gift to be a minstrel, but a young uh, youth pastor got a hold of him and discipled him and brought him through. And that guy influenced a generation. His name was Matt Redman. So he used his gift not to build his own kingdom. Like John Lennon said, we're more popular than Jesus Christ. But he used his gift, Matt Redman did, to influence a generation of young people with his gift. Instead of building his own kingdom, he built the kingdom. He used his gift to serve others. And the result there is, out of 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, says, so that in all things God might receive the glory. We have a gift. We use it to serve others so that God gets the glory. So Romans 12, Paul says, talking about bodies, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice and so forth. Then verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, that's us. We are all parts of his one body and each of us has different work to do. And since we all are one body in Christ, we all belong to each other. In other words, I use my gift to serve you, and I received your gift for me as we build one another up in the body of Christ. That's why we believe in team. Because some people say, you've heard it. I know, and some of you may have said it, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need that church. I don't need that. I don't need it. So say you're a thumb. That's your job, to be a thumb. And you got Jesus as the head. So you got a thumb and a head going down the street. It's not very effective. You're not going to get much done. It's not going to happen. Or my favorite one is the liver. <laughs> like this, going down like this. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. We value team. We value friendship before function. Yes, but we have to function together to be a complete body. So we all have a special gift. The second point here in Servant's Heart is God expects us to use our gifts. He expects it. There's no getting out of that one. The parable in Matthew 25 about the talents, he gives the talents... Uh, to, he gives five talents to one and two talents to another, one talent. So I, I just figured it out like a week ago because I like statistics. And uh, you know that 87% of statistics, statistics are made up on the spot. So. And uh, yeah, it's a new spot over there. Uh, it's, it's, a talent is, was about 60 or 70 pounds. And it was usually silver, rarely gold, because people didn't have that much gold. But David collected thousands of talents of gold for the... <laughs> it's amazing. So it's what, what one guy could carry, you know, on his shoulder, 60, 70 pounds. So 10,000 talents of silver is a lot of money. You know? It's, it's a couple billion dollars. So he, this, this guy gets this. And, and then another guy gets two of those, another guy gets one. Well, long story short, the five and the two, they doubled theirs. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then the guy who had one, he goes, ah, I didn't, uh, 
I just hit it in the ground because I was afraid. I knew you were a hard guy. So a lot of us, if we're a leader and somebody says, I, was, I thought you were hard like this, we go, oh, that's okay. Here, you know, that's okay. I don't want to push you too hard. Jesus goes, you wicked, lazy servant. That was my money. That was my gift I gave you, and you didn't use it to expand my kingdom. You have a gift that God gave you, and you're not using it for anything other than hiding it. Your feelings don't matter. Your temperament doesn't matter. You have a job to do. We all have a job to do because we are servants of the king. Anyway. You encouraged? All right. So he expects us to use our gifts. Uh, And down in verse 29 of that chapter, he says, For everyone who has, more will be given. You wonder why people always, you know, like, ah, like that? Just keep using what God gave you, and he'll give you more. Uh, another, another thing about a servant's heart is I want to talk about Rebecca. She's one of my favorite characters uh, in the Bible. So uh, Rebecca's Isaac's wife. She was a, a young girl, and, Isaac, and uh, Abraham sent his servant. You don't even, his servant's not even named, but he was in charge of his whole house, and he was going to be the heir if Isaac didn't come along. So Isaac's about 40 years old, living in his parents' house, and not married. That's, that's really, it's, it's true. So Abraham goes out and finds, finds his son for him. And the servant prays, he goes, Ugh, I, I, Lord, I don't know who to go to. I don't know, I'm supposed to go to his kinsmen, his relatives, and find a wife for Isaac. And so the first girl he sees is, is about to draw water, and he said, and he said if, if I ask her to give me a drink, and she also offers to water my camels, then I'll know that's the one. So he goes, uh, young lady, can you give me a drink? She goes, sure. Or she actually said, yes, my Lord. And, and, um, and then she says, and I'll water your camels as well. That's, that's pretty amazing. So... Verse 20 in Genesis 24, So she quickly emptied the jug into the watering trough and ran down to the well again. She kept carrying water to the camels until they had finished drinking. Did you know the average caravan in those days was about 10 camels? Camels, after they've gone across the desert, uh, can drink 25 gallons of water. 10 times 25 is 250 gallons. The pitcher was usually about 3 gallons, so that's 80 drops. 80 drops down in there. It, you know, we just read it, oh, isn't she sweet, like this. She offered to do another hour and a half's worth of work to water his camels. That's the Rebecca attitude, doing more than the minimum. The minimum is give him a drink. We live in a minimum standard society. And so, I, I Googled, I don't think I have it in these notes. I Googled uh, minimum standards. Uh, on Google, and there's like 87 million hits. Uh, and I, I Googled maximum standards. There was like 12. <laughs> it was just something crazy. So young people, you want a tip if you're applying for a job, and they look you in the eye and say, why should I hire you? Just say this. Because I will respect your authority, and I will do more than the minimum. 
I guarantee you, you have a greater chance of getting a job. I've hired so many people, and if a young person ever said that to me, I go, you're hired right now. <laughs> right now. So, <laughs> remember 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, everyone has a gift. Yeah, that's good. We so, use that gift to serve others so that God gets the glory. We see gifts in Romans 12. We call those motivational gifts, and those are gifts from the Father to His children. We see Ephesians 4 gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Those are people gifts. Those are gifts from Jesus to His bride. Amen. And we see gifts in, the, in 1 Corinthians 12 from the Holy Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We give, uh, see gifts from the Holy Spirit to His co-laborers. So Father, Son, and Spirit are all in the job of giving good gifts Amen. to His children, uh, to his church, and to his co-laborers. We, we do have gifts that we can use. And we, and we serve without quitting. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let's not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we'll reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. We don't want to grow weary of doing good. And if we are weary, then we are not in Jesus' great plan of come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest doesn't mean quit. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because you got to take off that yoke that somebody else put on you or that you put on you. Take that yoke off and get yoked to Jesus because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, it's a yoke and yes, it's a burden, but it's easy and it's light. And if you're not living easy and light right now, it's not your yoke and not your burden. So that's how we can serve without quitting. That's how we can keep on keeping on is by being in that slipstream of God's grace and go and go and go. It was by perseverance that the snail reached the ark. It was. Could you imagine? He probably got the call when Noah started building the ark. 120 years, just going like this the whole time. <laughs> and we serve enthusiastically. Romans 12, 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And the Greek word is there, cheerfully, is, is translated as cheerfully. It's hilarious. It, it, like where God says, God loves a cheerful giver, an enthusiastic giver. Uh, servants of the Lord serve enthusiastically, yeah. not begrudgingly. Oh, my goodness. When my kids were growing up, we had two rules in the house. That's it. It's real easy. This is parenting. Free parenting tip. The first one is obey the first time an instruction is given. Not the 50th time. First time. That was the rule. And you have to obey with a happy attitude. And you can do it. You can choose. David says, I will praise the Lord. When we see in King James, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's in today's language as praise the Lord, I tell myself. It's like, oh, praise the Lord. I, I can change my will to uh, position myself to have joy and, and a good attitude and things like that. We can train our kids to have that. So. And then we serve in humility. And this is a long chapter in John 13 about Jesus uh, washing the disciples' feet. Uh, toward the end of that encounter, you remember Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm so humble. You can't do that. <laughs> Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And he wasn't literally saying wash one another's feet. I know some people do foot washings and it's, it's very moving and all that kind of stuff. But he's talking about taking the position of a servant or a slave. In those days, people walked with sandals. They walked on dusty, dirty, dung-filled roads. Seriously, it was normal when they come into a house that somebody would wash their feet and bring refreshment to them. That's what I've done. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What did I do? I served you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus demonstrated doulos, slave, servanthood. Like a person who has no rights. Jesus got down on that. He... he, he, um, Everything he's told us to do, he started with serving. So he got down. First of all, he got up from the meal that they were enjoying. And he got out of his comfort zone. It was nice being there. But he stepped out of that. He took off his outer clothing. And he got that's what we do. We get down to the, all the pretense, get out of the basics and all those kind of things. Just real people. Then he wrapped a towel around his waist. And, and, and he, he was preparing for the serving that he was going to do. He got ready. He prepped himself. Is your character in order? Are you prepping yourself to serve people? Are, are we uh, working on integrity and honesty? And are we studying the word? And, 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 and do we have those kind of things ready? And then he poured water into the, to the uh, uh, basin. That means he prepared his uh, circumstances. God told Terry and myself uh, once in 1995 in, in Australia, prepare five years. That was it. Holy to moly. That was three-word prophecy. Five years later, we replanted a church in Northern California. So we went home, we started preparing. We don't know what we're doing. Prepare. Okay, so we're prepared. Terry stepped out of her law practice, and, and we began to simplify and, and get ready to do that. You, you just get ready when he calls you. And then, then, he, then he began to wash the disciples' feet. That's pretty gross. Uh, when we do, I've seen foot washings and people take off. You know, if they know there's going to be a foot washing, they make sure they sh- shower and put clean socks on and, and all that stuff. They, they didn't do that. <laughs> he washed the disciples. Then he dried them with a towel. That's a, a loving uh, gesture. And that's how we can serve people. We can, we can totally learn from Jesus. He humbled himself. And we can humble ourselves. And he demonstrated servanthood. And we can demonstrate servanthood. And he laid down his life. And so can we. That's what we can do. Acts 20.19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials. We want to walk in humility. Humility is kind of like underwear. It's important to have, but you don't really want people to see it. This is my best illustration. <laughs> and we serve in love. We serve in love. Galatians five thirteen and 14. Uh, for you were called to freedom, uh, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to f- for the flesh, 
Listen. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We serve ourselves really easy. We love our neighbor as ourself. All right. It's all about Jesus. Jesus demonstrated servanthood. I'm going to give you a little practical thing. Got a few minutes here. And uh, I, uh, I'm a kind of person who, the first part of my life, up till I was in my mid-40s, I was always serving somebody else. It didn't matter what situation, it always seemed like I got up to like the second position, you know. And I told a good friend of mine, Russ Doty once, I said, I think I'm going to be Joseph, because all of Joseph's life, he served his dad, then he served Potiphar, then he served the jailer, then he served Pharaoh. That's it. He never became number one. And I said, I'm happy with that. And, um, but uh, as I started leading my own church, and uh, Jesus Church, and I was, you know, what I'm talking about, people would come up to me and ask questions. Sometimes difficult people came up to answer a good question. Sometimes good people came up to answer difficult questions. Sometimes wonderful people came up to answer to ask wonderful questions, and sometimes difficult people came up to answer or ask difficult questions. So there's all kinds of questions. So I had friends over the years, over the decades ago, they get a phone call from their secretary or whatever. So-and-so wants to talk to you. Why do they want to talk to me? Why are they calling me? Like this. Because you're one of the pastors? Uh, Okay, so anyway, here's Moses. The people are complaining, you know, we don't got any meat. <laughs> you know, they, oh, we got this, this manna and so forth. So people began to complain about their hardship. The Lord heard everything they said. Ooh. And the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent fire to rage among them. He destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp, and then the people screamed to Moses for help, and they prayed. When, uh, when Moses prayed, the fire stopped. And the people again began to complain. Oh, for some meat. Like they were on the outskirts. Point number one, don't be on the outskirts. Be on the inskirts. Amen. Don't Amen. Stay close in, tight, where the safety is. All right? If you're on a merry-go-round and spinning around, get in the middle, you know? The outside is, ah. We remember the fish we used to eat in, in Egypt and all the cucumbers and leeks and melons and pff, garlic. Our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this man, a manna. And Moses heard all the family standing in the doorways of their tents whining, And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. Moses said to the Lord, Moses is asking questions. Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to a land you swore to give their answers? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? (laughs) They keep whining to me and saying, give us meat to eat. I I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. (laughs) 
do me a favor and spare this misery. God didn't kill Moses, but he provided a solution. Raise up an army of leaders and so forth. So Moses said, uh, what do you want, God? I didn't birth these people. Just kill me now. Martha said to Jesus, can't you please tell Mary to help me? (laughs) Peter said, how many times shall I forgive? Up to seven, like this. Jesus goes, no, 70 times seven. The father of the demonized son, Jesus, will you help me in my unbelief? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Pharisees, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Scribes, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Nicodemus, how can someone enter or be born again after they are old? How can they enter a second time into their mother's womb? These are all questions. Some, from, some good questions, some bad questions with ulterior motives or agendas. Some from good people, some from not so good people. Questions can be good. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? How can a rich man enter into the kingdom? Who really is my neighbor? Or not so good. Did God really say? Why have you made me so? Ooh. Romans 9, Paul says, don't say that. He's quoting the Old Testament. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say... Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one for decoration and one to throw garbage into? So Jesus asks a lot of questions. Almost done here. What did the scriptures say? Whom did I send? Who will go for us? Who do you say I am? Do you believe? Do you want to get well? Why are you afraid? Why did you doubt? Do you still not see or understand? What is good for someone? To, what is it good for someone to gain the whole world yet save their soul? Are you also going to leave? Who touched me? He wanted. Uh, Jesus said that because he wanted her story to be told. By the way, do you love me? To Peter, why do you call me Lord and do not what I say? So here's some tips for everyone, particularly for leaders, for answering questions. First, first tip, answer the question. (laughs) Answer it. Answer it. Even if it's, you know, I don't know the answer to that, I'll get back to you. But answer the question. Answer the text, answer the question. Treat people how you would like to be treated. And try to believe that the people have the best intentions. Second tip, don't react. People should not have to be afraid to ask you a question if you're a leader. They should not have to be afraid to do that. Uh, Make sure that you respond. Respond is a mature answer, reaction, like this. How dare you like that? I asked a good friend once, I said, uh, I've heard you say that you, should, um, that you should always respond, but sometimes I hear when people ask you questions, you react to them. And he goes, what? Why would you say that to me? <laughs> anyway, okay. That was free. Third, yes, very good, friends. Third, make sure you understand the question. You might have to ask them to repeat it, or you might repeat it back, is this what you're asking? Uh, make sure you, sometimes you can answer a question with a question. 
Um, Jesus did. Yeah. Who, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Whose inscription is on this coin? And by whose authority do I do these works? So repeat it back to them in their, in their works. And, and maybe it's a statement, not a question. Maybe it's an accusation, not a question. Maybe it's a lie being repeated. So ask God for the grace and just respond to that. Fourth, uh, remember that everybody's different. People are diverse. No one is the same. And they might ask the very same question in different ways. So if you're a leader... Get to know people better. You need to have a basic understanding of how people work. If necessary, maybe even study some temperament or personality. Just so you know, there's people out there that like this, people out like this, this kind of thing. My personality and my temperament is I ask a lot of questions. And I know that the leaders over me in the early part of my life, I ask a lot of questions and I'm, I have no agenda. It's just a blaring question and everyone else is afraid to ask it. So I'll say, hey, why don't we like this? <laughs> And so I always get the daggers over here. I used to. And I know that I irritated people that, that they loved me and I loved them and I was, I was not the leader. They were the leader. But I'm, that question needs to be asked. And if you're a leader, you need to know that some people on your team, a small percentage of people, those people are necessary because they see something that maybe other people are avoiding. Uh, if you're leading people, you need to know your sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. People in your church are not evil. They're just asking a question. And uh, fifth, if you don't know the answer, say you don't know the answer. Sixth, sometimes questions are rhetorical and there's no response necessary. You don't have... No, they don't want an answer. They're just asking it. And so... Uh, Micah says, What do you want, God? My firstborn. Now, I've told you what to do. I want you to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Lord, help us to do that, please. Help us to understand that it's always about you. It's always, always, always about you. We love you, God. We want to be servants like you were. God, help us to be patient and kind with our people. Amen.